Welcome to the Stories or Soul Food podcast with your hosts, Brian Cole and best-selling author, N.D. Wilson. This audio is brought to you by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions. Great Homeschool Conventions are the homeschooling events of the year, offering outstanding speakers, hundreds of workshops on today's top parenting and homeschooling topics and the largest homeschool curriculum exhibit halls in the United States of America. We believe passionately in the God-given right and responsibility of parents to train and educate their children. The Stories Are Soul Food podcast inaugural episode. I am Brian Cole, editor of Cannonball Books, and... I'm Andy Wilson, writer of books and reader of the occasional book. Yeah. Well, Stories Are Soul Food is kind of a weird title for a podcast, and you came up with the phrase. I did. Uh, or I remembered it from somewhere where I read it without remembering the attribution, but I think, that <laughs> I, I, think I came up with the phrase. I think I originated Stories Are Soul Food a number of years ago and a talk. And then I used it again in Death by Living Mm -hmm. and have used it many times since. But uh, yeah, the broad concept is just that souls need food. Imaginations need food, especially young ones. And what is that food? It's obviously a number of different things I'd assume, but... Well, I think that any human and any child is going to eat And they're going to eat with their imaginations as well as with their bodies, or they're going to cease to be. So Mm -hmm. if you don't feed your kids, they stop being your children. They stop being, period. But the same thing exists with their imaginations, with their souls. You have to tell them stories. If you don't, someone will. They're going to feed somewhere. If you don't feed your kids, obviously you lose them. Yeah. So a number of things can happen. If If you don't feed your children stories, if you don't actually help lead them on that journey, if you don't get their feet on the right paths in the right directions, they're going to consume whatever they find. And especially in private, private education or in homeschooling, uh, heavily in homeschooling, you have kids who start to read a lot because they're not, they don't have the same kind of cultural busyness that exists in a normal school setting. And that's got upsides and downsides. One of the upsides is they've got a lot of time to engage with material, and that's also one of the downsides. Because it depends on the food. Right, exactly. So if you you end up with a voracious reader, and you as a mom or you as a father have no prayer of staying ahead of them yeah. in, in what they're reading, right? Yeah. So they're, they're just at the library, and they are an indiscriminate vacuum cleaner. Or they, get, they wander into their own imaginations, and they start you know, make-believing, like they go into, they go into make-believe. So you see a lot of young boys will latch onto video games in a major way. That's regardless of what kind of schooling you have. They're looking for food. They're looking for food that challenges their imaginations and shapes and molds their imaginations. So you see them all as vacuum cleaners. Their souls, their imaginations are, are these vacuums. Nature abhors a vacuum. And so they will be filled. My oldest is seven and I'm already seeing this problem. And the idea of, I I think people are very positive about libraries, but the idea of turning my son loose in a library is, is a terrifying one. Yeah, no, we've had, we've actually, because of the nature of our family, we've, we've had more issues with books than with music, 
movies, TV shows. I don't, my kids aren't on social media. I actually gave them, a number of years ago, I gave them the gift where I said, my present to you as a father is that you will have no social media presence of any kind ever until you're 18. And may we all do likewise. (laughs) This is my gift to you because you are a fool. You're young. Uh, You're young and you're immature and you should be free to, to actually make mistakes and learn things without having it be permanently on the public record for all time. Also, the nature of the, you know, the nature of the, the chemical hit that comes from likes, the, the envy that it fuels, and the way that that little magnifying glass on Instagram feeds your imagination. Every single Instagram feed is a story, is a narrative, and it's telling your kids stories. Everything on Facebook's telling stories. Most of it fake, as we all know. But if you're young and you're sitting here feeding on these images of the lives of other people, what, what does that actually do for you in your life? And the answer is nothing good at all ever. <laughs> so, in, and that's been our approach in our, in our home. I now have an 18-year-old. Um, he has a Facebook page, which he used to uh, sell sweatshirts. You know, so that was his first toe dip into the world of social media. He's got two sisters right behind him. We were 17 and 16, voracious readers and writers. And so we've, we've run into more grit, more grime, more instances of things that snuck into the home that we have to address and deal with in novel length fiction than in anything else. Yeah. Okay. That's what I wanted to go back to. Cause it seems like most people, they love to say, oh, movies are so influential. Why do you think it's books that have, that have brought up? <laughs> yeah. So movies can be, movies can be wildly destructive and wildly constructive, but books get into your bones in a different way. Yeah. And if you think about, or if I think about what my birthday was like three years ago, Mm -hmm. like, okay, so three years back on my birthday, I did what? When I woke up, it's like, I have no idea, (laughs) none, zero idea. And that was, that was actually pretty recent. If you ask me about the ride to the Rohirrim, yeah. Or you ask me about the scene where, you know, the, the hobbits are sitting on the crushed gates of Isengard. Or Bilbo's birthday, speaking Bilbo's of birthdays. Birthday. Speaking of birthdays, you ask yeah. me about Bilbo's birthday. Um, I remember it. I remember, yeah, proud foot's on the table, you know, yep. like that. Yeah, I remember, I remember the scene visibly. He gets up, he does the awkward speech, he vanishes. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, we're under the giant tree. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, we got the tables, he's giving gifts. We got the fireworks that look like a dragon. Yeah. You know, it's, I remember it vividly. Yeah. There's a, yeah, yeah, just covered by that, that scary scene at the end where he can't get rid of this precious. Yeah, it's all there. So the point is that the way God made us, and this is terrifying, but also incredibly powerful. Uh, the way God made us is that our imaginations access our memories in a permanent way, hmm. in a way that our own lives do not. Yeah. So there's a way that storytelling and fiction gets into you and touches you in, a, in, in parts of your mind and your soul in your imagination in ways that are permanent. It's like there's wet concrete in there and it gets to it. Stories get all the way in. So when you have pictured things, when you have imagined things, uh, when you have been there with your imagination, accessing it with your imagination, you're far more likely to remember that on your deathbed than you are to remember your wedding day 
Yeah, I mean, like it's, it's true. You know, your wedding day is a blur and a fog because there's so, there's so much going on and you have these glimpses like I remember this part and I remember that part. But man, I could I could walk through the, you know, the scene with the Balrog in, you know, when we're down in Moria, I can I can do Helm's Deep. I can do and I haven't read Tolkien in some time. Uh, but I read him a lot in the fifth grade. <laughs> Imagination shaping, right? So yeah. there's, a, there's a, uh, a long tale for these books that kids are reading in fifth grade. It's the kind of thing you return to and it shapes how you think. Yep. Yeah. And in, in that way, I guess food it is... Shape, it shapes what you want. It's more than how you think. It's, uh, it shapes your loves, your loyalties, your instinctive loves, your instinctive loyalties. Your affection. Your affections, your desires, the kind of thing you yearn for, the kind of thing you, the kind of character you yearn to be. Yeah. Is shaped by stories which access those desires in your heart in a real way, access your heart when you're very young. Yeah, it reminds me, you know, there's that meal that'll take you back to your grandparents. Yep. And books do that so much more quickly just because you read so much more than you eat. Or maybe maybe just the books, each one of them packs that much more of a punch. Mm-hmm. And so the, the thing is, the, if we think of them as meals, which I do, especially when I'm writing I have to think of myself as cooking for a crowd. I'm trying to put wholesome food on the table, you know, hopefully for millions of people. And I am not trying to save the world. And a lot of Christian authors can get stuck in this, this rut of like, I must, I must stand against the darkness alone and I will save the world. Okay, great. Do that. I'm all for you doing that. But don't think of it that way. Okay. So you're not really a gourmet chef then. You don't think of yourself as a gourmet chef. Not at all. I am a short order cook. I am, <laughs> and I have to, I can't be disappointed in a novel that I put into the world that did not change the world, mm-hmm. you know, cause I am trying to hand out cool drinks of water. I'm trying to serve up wholesome food that will help people along the way, along their own journeys. And so hopefully, you know, I, I had a good friend who was not a believer, uh, working in publishing. Uh, I met him in his forties and I asked him how he got into publishing in New York, and he said, well, when I was six, I got the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, for Christmas. Whoa. And I have been chasing that feeling ever since. And like he'd been trying to pursue that. You want to talk about something that really like touched him. Later on in his 40s, all of his life choices were shaped still by that. So as he got married, as he had kids, as he, as he did the things he did, he was trying to accomplish, he's trying to get that feeling. And so it was, it was like that book had done some phenomenal pre-evangelism, you know, on this guy. Uh, he was from a broken home, you know, he was, had no kind of experience with the gospel. And yet this was, this was there. And we became friends because he saw that in my writing. Mm-hmm. And it was intangible for him and he couldn't get to it. But he said, you have the same aroma you know, yeah. that Lewis has. So where, where is this coming from? Where is it coming from? And let's talk. And so we, you know, we became good friends and had a lot of conversations that peeled back the skin and really showed the bones of where Lewis and I were both coming from and why, where that aroma was originating. So it's basically when you read a story and when you read a story as a kid, and when a story is read to you as a child, uh, this works as an adult too, but especially as a child, it gets into you. The way food does. The difference is it has a permanence. A meal has a permanence when it's consumed by the imagination. Yeah. And not all of them stick in the same way. But 
I can pick up a book and look at it and say, man, I know I read this and I know this was a big deal to me in the sixth grade. But if I start reading it again, things come back in waves. Yeah, for so sure. So I might think I don't remember it. But once I get in there, it, re- it reawakens a lot of the same, a lot of the same things. So as parents, when we're approaching that sort of reading decision, I think a lot of people, you know, when we're approaching a reading decision, we think that, you know, all of a sudden I need to pick the book that's going to make my child love good things. Right. And that's kind of a, a, a silly approach you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be great when your, your child does not love good things. You need to be thinking about how do I, how do I get them to love good things? But you also need to be thinking about. Or actually, I hear it the most. How do I get my kid to love reading? Right? Yeah. yeah. I I love reading. And it's like, okay, well, that's a good thing. But if they're going to, if they're going to read trash, it'd be better if they didn't love reading. Yeah. You know, it's like loving the love of reading is not a positive good unto itself, which is a weird thing for an author to say, (laughs) but it's not like, it depends on what your taste is. It's like, I love drinking. Well, what do you love to drink? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, it's like, is that necessarily a positive thing that you simply love to drink stuff, any stuff? Like, no, it's not. Right. So do, are we reading stories that are flattering or leaning into the certain tendencies that are not good for you or, right. or stories that are offering you so that when you run into a certain character in life, you know how to con- contextualize them or, yeah. you know, this is a long John Silver character. He looks, yep. he looks friendly, but is going yeah. to run off of the treasure at the end. Are you, are you reading stories and are you giving your children stories that reinforce all that is true, good, and beautiful, uh, that honor the honorable and damn the damnable? Are you reading stories with your kids that align their loyalties and fuel them and feed them and touch them in ways that, you know, God designed, you know, th- things that were are really essential and important to them in childhood? Um, then it will strengthen them. Ultimately, the question is, will this make the bones of their imaginations stronger or weaker? Because if it's weaker, then you're going to fuel resentment. You're going to fuel envy. You're going to fuel discontentment. You're going to have kids who look at their life, look at their family, look at their location, and they, they're like depressed about it. You can, you can give a kid a book in a way that will make them hate their life you know, and hate the place in the world that God has placed them. And that's horrible. <laughs> like that's, yeah. That's really, really destructive. So like what sort of book do you think would be doing that? Pure escapism. Oh, gotcha. Like straight, straight up escapism is an example of that where yeah. I'm going to treat you as if your world sucks, your life is boring, and I'm going to tell you this amazing tale that makes you wish you were someone else, somewhere else in a different family. Yeah. You know, that this world, I mean, this, this world is so much more potently magical than any, any authors ever made up. And we can lie to kids very, very easily simply by having a, an animal talk. And that's great in Narnia, but you can use Narnia in a way that causes kids to fail to see their own journeys, their own stories, their own place in God's story. As opposed to them finishing a good meal and coming back to real life, a good imaginative yeah. meal fueled. Fueled and improved, loving the right things and hating the right things. Yeah. Where do I find the bad guy in my life? Where do I find the encouragement? Yeah. Yeah. One of the most important things in Narnia is the existence of characters like Edmund. Are you Edmund? Right. Eustace Clarence Scrub. Like how, how does Lewis take those characters and rip the dragon skin off, take Edmund through this transition of of restoration, mm-hmm. you know, an actual blood sacrifice. It's not just the fact that we're reenacting a, a type of the gospel. It's the existence of Edmund as a character 
you know, and the number of Edmonds who've read those books is vast. Millions and millions of Edmonds have read those books and should have read those books and hopefully were a little derailed off of their Edmonds track. <laughs> yeah, all my sons, that's the thing. They, they see when they screw up that they are doing the same thing yeah. that, that Eustace has done. Yeah, and, and stories give you as parents amazing handles for that. You are being like fill in the blank. Yeah. You know, even actually to tie it in with movies, with my, little, with my kids when they were younger, uh, we always said, don't be a Sid. Sid from Toy Story, uh, the Toy Story franchise, the guy who like smashes toys for fun. Do not take pleasure in destruction just for destruction's sake. Do not be cruel to an insect because it's there. Yeah. You know, don't just thoughtlessly harm. Do not chop up your toys. Like, don't be a Sid. And especially for my boys, don't be a Sid to your sister. Don't be a Sid to your, sister, <laughs> to your sister's toys, especially, which is what Sid did. You know, don't, don't be malicious toward anything in this world. Uh, and so referring to Sid and don't be one, stop being a Sid is really, really useful. There's this category in their head. Instead of you having to say, so some people in this world take pleasure from malice <laughs> you know? yeah. and trying to explain it to a small yeah. child. There's a narrative handle. Don't be an Edmund. Don't be a Eustace. Don't be a Sid. Right. Um, Propositional content that yeah. is that much harder be to apply. You know, be more like Trumpkin is, yeah. uh, is a great thing. This is incidentally, like Harry Potter has got some great things about it. I'm a, and I'm very grateful to the franchise for a lot of reasons, but this is one of those places where it breaks down. People can be concerned about the magic. I'm less concerned about the magic. That's problematic philosophically, but it's a, it's a skin deep kind of problem. The bigger issue is Harry Potter hits the hat trick of wish fulfillment, of like escapist, resentful wish fulfillment. Yeah. He gets to be mistreated and he's, he's a victim. He's got, a, he's got a victim card while being super famous, but he doesn't know. So he gets to discover from his victim status that he's wildly famous, that he's super wealthy, and he's the most talented wizard ever there was. Right. Like, it's this amazing quartet of, I think it's one of the reasons why the book was so successful, starting from that place of victimhood to... Turns out you are the most specialist, specialist, specialist of all the specials. He has the most Instagram lights of in yeah, the wizard he's, in he's the wizarding huge. world. He's huge. So he got to defeat Voldemort without ever even trying. He got famous for having done something he doesn't remember. That's amazing. Now, yeah, there's messianic typology there and other things, but she sets it up where it's actually fun to be Harry Potter. Like it's actually fun. Where in the Old Testament in God's world, being the hero is not fun. And I, I resolved in my books to always make the heroes really pay a bigger price. It's much harder and it's much more grueling than it is to be someone who knows the hero. <laughs> like, yeah. If you're next to the hero, it's way more fun than if you're the one who has to go onto the cross. And the Old Testament prophets are the same way. It's never fun to be a judge. It's never fun to be a prophet. Thinking, thinking of magic, Moses getting to turn his staffs into snakes. Moses yep. doesn't have that Harry Potter. No, the Harry Potter exciting turnaround. He uh, spent a lot of time in the desert and had a lot of people very upset at him. Right. And then didn't even get to go to the promised land. Right. Because God held him to a higher standard. But how often did his flock screw up? Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, but the, he's held to a different standard because he's the one with the authority of God there. So it did, it did feel like Harry... And that Harry Potter and that step got away with so many things or his attitude, I guess, yep. later on becomes this, this, she's trying to, she's trying to make everything not go perfectly for him. But the way it came across, 
is that Harry gets to be different because he's Harry. Yep. Yeah. And in that, in those friendships, the nature of friendships is that you lie and you backstab and then you just get over it. Right. You get back together. You heal the wound lightly. You don't have to go through what Edmund went through. Right. You don't ever really deeply seek forgiveness <laughs> from anyone. The gang's all back again, yeah. even though they had a huge fight. We all got over it. Yeah. We're all fine now. And I've seen that in families too, and it's horrible. You know, where you, you see grown children who they've learned just that we're supposed to be around each other because we're family and we all fight and none of us ever confess our sins or get forgiveness. And yet we all just fight. Um, and that's horrible. Yeah. And I, we see that in fiction all the time. So anyway, stories are soul food really boils down to the fact that your soul needs shaping. Yeah. Souls need instruction. Loves, loyalties, and hates, yearnings have to be aligned and they have to be aligned correctly. And as we all know, as parents, you know, we, the kids need to eat over and over and over again. What is that Tolkien quote? There's a famous Tolkien quote. You know, I saw horses everywhere, but never once the footprints of the worm or something like that. And you just you know, go find that dragon so that you know what to do with the sin dragon uh, yeah. in, your, in your life. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh, uh, we had Duessa was another character. Duessa, the woman who oh, leads. From the fairy queen? Yeah, from the fairy queen who leads St. George astray. The, basically the Delilah of the fairy queen. But we use Delilah too. You know, it's like you, yeah. you want to tell the stories. But in, when you get on this train and you start thinking about stories being soul food, uh, re realize that you're, you know, I, I mentioned insidious books sneaking through, you know, our, our filters as a family. There's different times we've had to talk through stuff with my daughters because they grabbed a book at the library and they had it read. And, you know, the next, I, I didn't notice. And 15 minutes later, they've read the whole thing. <laughs> and it's like, oh boy. So now we're talking through this. This is a little ahead of schedule. Yeah. You know, but the, the, the ultimate test is, are you comfortable with Bible stories? So it's not about what's in it. It's not about what's in the story. It's about where that ingredient is and how it's handled and what's, you know, what it's done. It's not about, is there sin? It's about how the sin is handled. So if you, if you tell the story of Samson, as you should to your children, you got to make sure you don't disnify it. If right. you tell the story of Noah, as you should, don't disnify it. Okay. David, don't disnify it. Those problem with those children's Bibles. That's what they all do. Yeah. Like the idea that the flood could cover the whole world and there'd be no dead people. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And then you have, you have also, and I've, I've said this often, is like when you tell, when you get on the, when you really set out to tell the right stories, the healthy stories, the wholesome stories, your alignment starts with the stories that God tells. So Tolkien, Lewis, yeah, those are great, but you have to start first with, you know, the Old Testament. Yeah. The New Testament. And you have to, you have to start there and you have to tell the stories for real. So you do not tell your kids Bible stories with vegetables. And have that be like the thing that makes you think, yep, we did it. We covered the Bible stories. <laughs> like, right. No, it's like, that's not you covering the Bible stories. That's a completely different thing. That's the lungeable approach to the yeah. Bible as opposed yeah. to the feast. Yeah, exactly. And you, you have to do it for real. So if you are uncomfortable telling your kids the story of the flood, the way it happened, then you need to get your, you know, your calibration checked. You got to get realigned and that will... Uh, affect all your, your, the novel choices, the things you hand your kids to read when they're 12, when they're 15, when they're 16, you know, and when they're 10, like what's their frame, what can they handle? But that's going to be aligned and calibrated first by Bible stories. So Samson did what? Tell the truth. Like he was off with a horrible woman. He listened to that horrible woman. He was destroyed by that horrible woman. They ripped his eyes out because of, you know, right. 
because of his failures to control himself, uh, his lack of self-control. But don't end in despair. Don't end with his, his giant death. Like, tell the story correctly. Read it correctly. Read it fully and tell it correctly. He killed more Philistines in his death than he did in his entire life. That's important. And then I always ended with my kids. I would always ask him if Samson's blind now. Mm. You know, is he still blind? Finish the story. Yeah. You know, the story doesn't end at the grave. And the answer, no, he has eyes. He has new eyes. Yeah, he's mentioned in Hebrews 11, right? Yep. He, he's <laughs> Samson is up there as one of the great clouds of witnesses. So if you're trying to be strong, holding yourself up against Samson, there are many, many people you could do worse. You know, yeah, it's, hard, yes. it's hard to do better. He is the strong man. Yeah, he made the Hall of Fame in Hebrews. So, yeah. you know, it's don't be too judgy here, but tell the truth. Yeah. But finish with the resurrection. Like, you know, the story continues. Noah, unfortunately, the, the Bible stories for the flood for most... And this is, this is why, incidentally, sidebar, this is why we started doing the old stories in the yep. first place. So it started why we started doing Bible stories at Canon was because most flood stories consist of once upon a time, a long time ago, people stayed up past their bedtime. And, <laughs> and God got so angry that he killed everyone. <laughs> right. Totally <laughs> and, justified. <laughs> yeah. And so if you try to disnify the story, what you end up doing is telling a lie about God. Yeah. So... When you tell your children that God destroyed the entire earth, you better make sure that it, to your children, it feels justified. Right. And he should have. And, and they, their response is, and praise him for it. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm so glad he did. Mass destruction. Giants. That was important. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, was, it was right and it was good and it was holy for him to have done that. It was not God, the great overreactor in the sky. And unfortunately... That's how we frame the story. So when we try to make it PG, we lie about God and we do that over and over and over again. So, yeah, I think there's that sense in which we try to, when we're telling stories, we need to make sure we don't shy away from hearty food that has, has yep. both, both the bad stuff and stuff in it. that requires chewing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not just, it's not just uh, baby food, you know, baby food blended up and shoved into their. They're fat faces with a, with a weird long spoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to actually tell them the truth. And if you do tell them the truth and you tell them the whole truth around these stories, it doesn't mean getting graphic. It doesn't mean, right. it doesn't mean scarring them with uh, the knowledge of good and evil before they're ready. But it does mean actually like making sure that you've told the truth about the darkness. Right. This idea that as an adult, we don't have to deal with that thing. You know, of course, adults will have to deal with it. So you should be training kids in the, yeah. in the playground of the stories as soul food, you know, training them how to deal with those things when yep. they come across them. Absolutely. So starting in the Old Testament is kind of the most important place. And I, I actually think the most important place because it's the foundation that brings us the New Testament. It's the context in which all those stories happen in which the Messiah comes. So into what world did the Messiah arrive? Yeah. And don't tell a lie. Like, don't lie about how bleak and dark and awful and long that wait was. <laughs> that was yep. That was a long, bleak, awful, dark wait. And yeah. Then, I've, we're reading through Genesis out loud, and it's the first time that I've done that to seven and five and three and one. And, you know, I'm looking ahead to some of those chapters thinking, well, oh boy, God put it here. So, yep. <laughs> you know, how, you know, how are we going to talk about these things? Yep. You know, so. Yep. And we're going to get, we're going to get through it. So trusting those stories. And then as you move from there into fiction, it really should affect uh, your choices. So get that, get that bedrock down. And then you're thinking like, what stands on this bedrock? Well, and it's, it's not twilight. 
Yeah, it's like a chef who can taste a page and realize this is trash. Yeah. So you don't you don't have to then eat the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. I think you've talked before about how uh, Christians shouldn't be the sort of person to just open any book or go into any theater and just kind of settle down and go, oh, I love it. That's yeah. not really our attitude. What, what We've talked about it, but what is our attitude when we approach a new book or something we just grab off the shelf at the local library? Or how, do, how does one go about culturing your palate, I guess? Yeah. I don't know if that's the right word. So if you, um, we, we know, we understand this when it comes to other things. But if somebody told you, I love food, I love all food, and you said, well, I've got this really crappy TV dinner that's been frozen in the freezer for three years, and they're like, hit me. I love it. <laughs> as long as I'm eating, as long as I'm putting stuff in my mouth, I'm happy. We all know to be deeply concerned. Yeah. And if somebody says, I love wine, and you say, oh, yeah? Like, what kind? All wine. Anything red. Anything pink, red, green, white. I love it. I love all wine. You immediately think, let's call your pastor. This is a problem. That's not a good thing. Yeah. But if somebody says, I love reading, we don't like those alarms don't go off. I mean, we don't, we don't wait and say reading what? Mm. And before we pass judgment, like we don't, we don't wait to see. So as we try to develop palettes, you have to realize that it's going to ruin a lot of stuff for you. Nope. And so the reason why parents and readers don't do this a lot is because it takes the buzz away because you have to stop being an alcoholic and you have to start actually being a connoisseur. You have to actually start tasting and seeing then passing judgment on stuff. So if you're just, I love reading, my kids will engulf any stories ever. That's a problem. Um, you have to train them to throw a book away. You have to train them to stop reading, you know, show them where the brakes are, teach them how to throw a book across a room. And also to say why. As they're reading, they have to be thinking to themselves, what is this saying? What is this doing to me? What is this food doing to my imagination? Where is it taking me? And is it true, good, and beautiful? And if not, spit it out. Stop now. I love it. I think looking ahead at some of the episodes we have planned, I think that's, that's where yeah, we'll we're going to go. We'll do some spitting out. <laughs> we'll, do some, we'll do some spitting and, of course, a lot of enjoying at the same time, too. So it is. And the other, the other thing is I've... Uh, it's not, it's not all about craft. Craft is important, but you know, the, the actual substance of stories is more than just proficiency with prose. Um, there are some really wholesome, great things out there that are not super sophisticated in the craft, and that's, and that's completely fine. You know, I've told um, a lot of aspiring writers that I've worked with, if you walked into some glorious cathedral, I mean, just the architecture is amazing, and there's these, this little choir of uh, mistreated boys in lace, in lace collars singing beautifully with a predator conducting. Yikes. And no one in this cathedral believes a thing. They've, they're all About on the what other, they're doing, yeah. Yeah, they're all on the other team. If you talk to the bishop who sits there, he says, oh, I think Jesus may or may not have been a myth and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're in total right. goo land. Then you go to a, a little country church that's the foundation slipping and the church is cockeyed and the piano's out of tune. Yeah. And some old dude hammering out Amazing Grace. Yeah. But doing it faithfully, which one's more beautiful? Uh, which one is more wholesome? And the same thing applies to stories. Like we know that if the soul's not there, if there's all the craft in the world, there's all the technical ability in the world, but the heart is missing, the heart is wrong, the soul is wrong, it's a stench. God hates it. 
Um, and ultimately, as we, as we try to go on this journey of finding the right reads for our kids, or, you know, reading books aloud with them, handing them books to read, ultimately the question that they, we're trying to train them to ask themselves as they age is always going to boil down to, does God like it? Does God like this book or does he not? Yeah, it could take you the longest time in the world to build something. And if you're building the Tower of Babel, that's bad. <laughs> yes. But if you're building Noah's Ark... Great. Takes you a hundred years. Great stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it really, we, it all boils down to coming to know, getting your kids to know their father in heaven and know him well enough to know his taste uh, and to follow his taste, you know, to pursue his taste, to pursue what he loves you know, and to not pursue what he hates. What an exciting challenge. I think. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> and there's not enough books in the world, frankly. There's just not. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we do also, I'll, I'll say there's one other thing that we'll, uh, we'll address at different points in this podcast, but it's easy and this is not always bad, but it's easy to feed your kids fluff that's not dangerous. So it's not nourishing, but it's also not dangerous. Right. And if, it, if that becomes their primary staple, that's also failure. You're like, listen, I looked at this book and this, is, this book has got nothing really going for it, but there's nothing against it either. You know, so here, have it. Yep. You're, you're feeding your kids cheese puffs. Yeah. For my seven-year-old, nonstop Hardy Boys would be not challenging him. You know, like a right. few, a few. But you're not worried. Right. So it's easy as a parent to be like, oh, he's reading Hardy Boys. I'm not worried. Right. I mean, it's, it's not an invasion. And while that, that is true and that is fine and you're, you should look at him and say, oh, he's eating chips again. Yeah. Like if your kid is eating chips all day, every day, you got, it's like, man, we should maybe find some proteins. But it's, you know. Is, this is what it is. It's a, it's a real heavy task. And so there's plenty of times for your kids to eat Doritos. That's fine. Narratively speaking, like this, this book is a Dorito is, is not horrible as opposed to this book is poison. But uh, it's easy for parents to slip into the rut of just looking for non-threatening stories. Stories that won't damage as opposed to stories that will inspire and build and strengthen. Right. That's great. So there we go. Uh, are we done? We have anything else to cover here in this first episode of Stories Are Soul Food? The the title episode. That's of it. Stories Are Soul Food. Hopefully, we will pump out many, many more of these. That's good. Very fun. Cheers. Next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Stories Are Soul Food podcast. Before you go, I wanted to make sure you knew that the Canon app has now released in the app store of your choice. It features audiobooks from our Cannonball line like Christine Cohen's The Winter King. The Babylon Bee's very own Ethan Nicole has his Brave Ollie Possum there, and Remy Wilkins' Strays. Go download the app now and enjoy all the great stories. Cheers. Cheers.